Hey everyone, I'm Andrew, and you're listening to Small Efforts, a collaboration between Crit and Miss Grants. And hi, I'm Sean. Small Efforts is a show where we talk about cybersecurity, design, and the continuous small efforts it takes to build a business. Hey man. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? How's your vacation? My vacation was amazing. This is the first time in a while. I mean, I guess, I guess there was that whole COVID thing. So it's the first time in a while that most of us have been on vacation, a true proper vacation. But this is definitely the longest vacation I've taken in a, in a while. I was off for 10 days, Saturday to Monday, because we had Monday off, Monday, July 5th off for the, for the 4th. This podcast will come out way after July 5th. So <laughs> dating, dating ourselves there, <laughs> ruining our evergreen content. But yeah, so we went to Drummond Island, which is off of the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. And my girlfriend's family has a couple of houses on the lake. These are like houses that have been passed down through the family. And so like her aunt and uncle have two houses and then somebody has the two houses next to them. And then there's one house in between and then another cousin has a house and then a really close family friend has a house. So it's basically like this whole shore, lake shore of people who all know each other. And so we spent the entire time walking back and forth between houses. We'd go over to someone's house for, for dinner and someone's house to play beach games and someone's house to go sailing and go out on a motorboat. And it was just so much fun. It was so relaxing. I did schedule a couple of meetings the very first day that I was there. But after that, I didn't <laughs> look at my phone. I just read and ate and drank and hung out and it was great that's the curse of running your own thing right you just have to you have to check it yeah it's tough also i assume you've never been to the upper peninsula of michigan i've never been to the upper peninsula of michigan which is a great title for this episode by the way <laughs> the great lakes are gorgeous like the water is so much clearer than i expected and it's this sort of very aqua tropical green color i was blown away i was like am i in michigan or the bahamas like this is weird <laughs> whoa okay the trees and everything else are very you know michigan north kind of feel but the water is beautiful it was really cool also very cold the water was very cold i see okay gotcha so not quite the bahamas right? <laughs> I, I assume the bahamas the water is warm i don't i don't never been so i've been once yes very very warm how was your week it was good. I did have like a couple days over the weekend where I didn't check my phone. Or actually rather, I got some housekeeping related things done on Monday while everyone was off. But I definitely sporadically checked my email and Slack, even with no notifications, just feeling like like something should come in. Um, half the team was there on Friday. Like stand-up was literally, you know, the half of us. And then Monday, it was just me. So I was like, this is, this is weird. I keep, yeah. It did make me kind of take a step back and think like, wow, it's like really, it's really cool that like that there's a team like it, like, you know, you don't know what you're missing until it's, until it's gone. Right. So I was like, oh, like that was like a cool feeling to be a part of or to feel or, or like to kind of think back on or something. I don't know. We had a a couple of days like that a few weeks ago where stand up was literally me 
Ronnie, one of our front end engineers, and Bina, our project manager. And so it was just like, hey, <laughs> how are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the shortest stand up ever. But yeah, it's definitely once you have built that team, you enjoy being around them, hopefully, <laughs> ideally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've often thought about, like, I love building a remote team. I like working from home now. I didn't used to, but I like it now a lot. And I just love being able to work with people all over the country. It's really cool. But there is a part of me that misses having an in-person team and being able to just lean over and have a conversation with somebody. And there's a part of me that very much wants to just be able to, you know, go grab beers with coworkers after work or something like that. So there are trade-offs. Chris, one of my designers, shout out to Chris. He has been responsible for doing a lot of our illustrative work. He was in New York to hang out a little bit to see some friends and he stopped by my apartment. I haven't I've have a extra like monitor and like a hot desk. So he kind of like sat and worked a little bit before heading out. We got some drinks afterwards. It was, it was nice. It was good. It was kind of cool to like almost feel like I had an office. Yeah. We're gonna start planning our team retreat soon. And I think we're going to be able to do an in-person retreat. Probably won't be able to leave the country. We'll probably have to do it within the U.S. But yeah, we're going to start planning that soon. And I, I can't wait. Actually, I have not met a single person on the team in person. Everyone on our team, we have hired remotely and haven't yet had a chance to meet them. Except for Austin. Right. Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I hope so. But you did just move really far away from him. So... It is cool. I'm I'm really excited. And we actually, we just had a new engineer start last week. Congrats. Yeah, he's really cool. His name's Michael Prather. He's based out of Cleveland. And we're really, really excited. I, he's really sharp and is interested in growing into like maybe a management position in the future. And there's a really strong values alignment. And so I'm excited about that. That's awesome. I also have a designer that joined our team. Cool. We can talk about that offline. She's super cool. Oh, actually, currently we're also looking for a product manager. Or sorry, not product manager, project manager right now. Just we I'm finding this like balance between being an account manager, a project manager, and a creative director all at the same time. And starting to see where, you know, you can't do <laughs> all those things. So definitely looking for someone. So if you're knowledgeable in in project management and you happen to listen to this episode. You're interested in working at a really exciting, growing design agency in the cybersecurity space, then hit up Sean and become one of the latest miscreants. Exactly. Exactly what Andrew said. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for being a recruiter. Like I like talking about the agency operations related things, but I know that we also promise to talk about like like security and and design and like product and all that. So, you know, I know that before we started this episode, we plan to kind of touch on those things. So super smooth segue into <laughs> <laughs> one of those topics. So I got really excited this past week. I was reading through Daniel Meisler's newsletter, Unsupervised Learning, and saw that MITRE had come out with their new Defend matrix. Is that, do they call it a matrix? Yeah. Yeah, I found it super interesting. I was curious to hear from your perspective what the general view is within the security industry about both the MITRE ATT&CK framework and this new Defend framework. I've 
you know, I feel like I've heard people kind of complain that it's a little corporate-y, but as someone who is trying to get a feel for the security landscape still, I found it very useful. We've worked the MITRE ATT&CK framework into a couple of products that we've worked on before and have found it helpful in some ways to, to clarify some of the information. And in this case, the Defend framework in particular helped me get a sense of like, oh, these are the potential product categories that might exist who we could find to help and find to work with. And maybe these are the opportunities for new product categories as well, laid out in a very succinct way. So of course, being the product geek that I am, that's where my mind immediately went. It was like, oh, these are the product categories that are either there or that there is potential for. So yeah, I guess my question is, what's your take on the Defend framework? Does it seem useful or not? And what's your read on the industry's perspective on frameworks like this? So no read on the industry's perspective on it, mainly because I think it's, I think it's still fairly new. I don't even like I was kind of throwing around some friends and and you know people that are more technical operators the people that work in more corporate environments definitely found it pretty awesome and interesting but of the people I showed it to like I think half hadn't even heard about it huh and had mentioned that even like their team members hadn't known it like the only person that happened to know about know about it was like their UI designer for example and others had also said like they saw it but just didn't like really take the time to look into it is that true of the attack framework as well, or is that one much better known because it's been around for a lot longer? No, I would say the MITRE attack matrix is definitely known around everything. And and one of the one of the points of feedback I got from someone who works more on the defensive side was like, oh, like this is great. We can stop referencing the MITRE attack matrix and start referencing this matrix when talking to customers now. And it's like, oh, that's that's cool. Same kind of you know works in a more corporate environment person. But yeah. Going back to industry perspective, I have no idea. I haven't seen a lot of buzz on it. Maybe I might might have seen like one retweet of it on Twitter. But that being said, I also like limit my Twitter usage to like once a week at this point. I used it enough to catch the the infosec bikini thing and then the offensive security thing. I don't know if you heard about either one. I missed both of these. Okay, cool. We should probably study up on this. But and there's an article that I I think Lorenzo from Vice or Motherboard had written. I forget where he's a journalist, but my understanding is basically someone called out someone on Twitter for, you know, like posting a, like a bikini photo and and not like technical content. And then everyone, like, you know, everyone was like, what is it? Like, you're being ridiculous. Like, this is ridiculous. What do you mean a bikini photo offends you? And, you know, I think there still is a lot of this type of like weird old guard mindset that's a part of security Twitter. And, and a lot of people show their support for, I believe her name is Colleen, but yeah, and then posted a lot of their bikini photos. And that was cool. And then the other thing with offensive security is that basically offensive security, the the company that hosts, I don't know how, what the, the verbiage is here, the company that owns the OSCP and has like the creators of the OSCP and the people that, you know, administer, oh, administer, the administer that test and, and do all that stuff. I think they're either trying or have trademarked like the term offensive security. Anyway, they're trying to sue, they're trying to sue like some other company for, or trying to get it taken down with the trademark of saying like, oh, like we own that word. And everyone's in uproar about it because like, I'm sorry, that's like trying to trademark the word like taco or like taco Tuesday, <laughs> you know, look, looking at you specific basketball player who tried to do, or specific 
famous person that tried to do that. That's dumb. People should be allowed to post what they want on their personal Twitter accounts. And also big companies shouldn't try to trademark terms that everyone already uses. There's my there's my hot take. <laughs> That's scalding. That is hotter than the heat wave in New York City right now. <laughs> so back to the the MITRE Defend Network or Defend Matrix. I'll get those those words right at some point. So we were talking about the industry perspective before we got got off on industry Twitter. And then the other question I asked you was just sort of what's your take on its usefulness? Okay. So personal take, I think it's great. I think it's amazing. I think it has is long awaited. I think from looking through it, it's definitely still early. There's def- definitely like detection techniques and 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 all of that. That I think that matrix is going to grow and will become like an industry standard, just the way that minor tech the minor tech matrix is. But yeah, my my first train of thought looking at it was, whoa, there's going to be startups that spin out of this because there were startups that spun out of minor like the minor attack matrix and all of them like aligned to it and all that. And I think. If you look at it right, like I think that detection is the one that's the most built out, but things like dis, like deceive is very very like that's the thing that was most interesting to me. I think deception deception tech is still super new in our industry. You know, I think it's I think it's growing. I think people will get better at it. And you know, the thing that was the most interesting to me, honestly, was the decoy object column with all the different like decoy user credentials and decoy personas, and you know, made me start thinking about like. I guess like canaries aren't really a part of this, but you know, it's it just made me think about all the other cool new tech that will come out. And I think it's, you know, there's a lot of these that will spin out into I mean, a lot of these have already become companies and they can be kind of tied and align it aligned to these things. But yeah, I'm just I'm excited to see where deception tech goes. I'm also excited, I'm curious what the industry currently thinks of deception tech, especially since it's so new and and it's not all at least from what I know, the private industry stuff is all not very good currently. So, I talked to somebody who is in the very early stages of working on what sounded like some really interesting deception tech. I'm I'm curious to to follow them. I don't remember their name off the top of my head. We didn't end up didn't end up working with them, but sounded like they were doing doing some some cool stuff. One one of my first thoughts looking at this was. God damn, this is just a poor interface. <laughs> like it's it's so such a cool, useful piece of information. And the fact that they do not have linked anywhere the attack matrix, like the fact that I can't just click a single button to go to the attack matrix drove me freaking crazy. Also, like these filters that have no information on them whatsoever, that it's just like a weird red box and a black or yeah, a black box, and you can't even tell what it is until you click on it, and then it's like, oh, okay, this is some sort of filter. Come on, people! Like this is—you <laughs> have such cool information. Like, just you know, I think I linked to you a um, a news article about it, and the news article had this kind of cool, cool visual linking the the two matrix, minor attack matrix, right, right? And then you click on the actual defend, and it's like, okay. I don't think that exists anywhere. Yeah, yeah. That news article did this platform dirty. <laughs> like, I I was looking around for it. I was like, wait, isn't there supposed to be like, can't I? The MITRE attack like page itself, where you if you click on like a T ten eighty two or something, like at the bottom they actually do list out defensive things you can do or preventative things you can do. But so anyway, my my point is like, you know, it's 
some point it's the next logical like product decision is to just start linking the two and putting it maybe even under like one navigator maybe wink wink someone (laughs) could we get away with just doing this ourselves like throwing up a page that links back to miter's stuff so it's not like we're claiming it as our own but just create a better interface for for miter and be like here's a better way to use the miter to navigate the miter matrix i think this is a cool segue but like like defining what a good product is and then also defining or not defining but like we're trying to better define our framework for improving products where we look at a product. I think, you know, it's very, you know, like, like let's, let's say like MITRE defend, for example, right? Well, like we look at this and like, okay, like the first thing we can do is like go and put something in the form field so that it's not just the red and blue box. But yeah, so, so we're just trying to think of like a framework to think about that better. And so are you thinking about this in terms of taking an existing product and improving it? Are you thinking about improving it from a design perspective? Are you thinking about evaluating new features or existing features in terms of their usefulness or their business application? What If you had to put some parameters around this question of how do you define what a good product is, what's, what's the way you're trying to start thinking about it? It's definitely the former. It's definitely like, let's look at an existing product and how do we make that like, you know, like putting a framework around the word better, right? Because that's, that's a very abstract term and it could mean like 5 million things. Like, like ultimately, like, you know, someone can say a UI refresh is better, but like, is it really better or is it just a little bit prettier? Yeah, I think that's, that's the main thing I'm thinking about. I think, I think we have very specific processes when it comes to like make this thing sexier or like make this thing from scratch and think about it with like design thinking so that you can make sure that you're building it correctly the first time. But we're trying to figure out a better framework with like, okay, you're coming to us with this tool and and we have to. Yeah. So we're trying to build a better framework around that, you know, kind of figuring out what is something repeatable. Yeah. And just wanted to see, you know, I think you all have done a pretty good job with that in some of your previous work. Drop some knowledge, man. Yeah, so we're actually doing this exact same thing right now. Like literally this morning, I sat down and had a kickoff conversation with our project manager and one of our designers about starting to build a better design diagnostic. So in the past, we have done a lot of work with early stage startups where we were building things completely from scratch. And so the question was then more of that question of how do we evaluate features for whether we should work on them or not. And in that case, it's often more a matter of, you know, complexity, so, you know, budget at the end of the day, and then sort of market interest. So, pushing people to do more customer validation and trying to, you know, launch things scrappier. And so in that world, you know, we were really thinking more in terms of lean startup and jobs to be done type frameworks for helping guide our product thinking and our product decisions. Now that we're starting to work with more established companies, we're asking this exact same question of how do we define what better is? You know, we say on the new homepage that we're working on and will hopefully be launching soon, you know, we help cybersecurity founders design better products. And Mm -hmm. we have a design audit process right now where we go through and we look at an existing product and we evaluate it for low-hanging fruit and for sort of clear UX improvements. But 
right now, a lot of that is just knowledge that we're pulling out of our head from years of expertise working on products. It hasn't been super well-defined for us yet. So we're actually launching this new sort of internal project to build a better design diagnostic that will give us a more systematic way of answering, is this security product well-designed, yes or no? And hopefully there will be shades of gray. There will be, you know, variants and we can sort of look at how well designed and, you know, identify some key areas that we want to improve. And so we're looking at a few, we're starting right now just doing research into what else is out there. We're looking into, are there any off the shelf solutions for, you know, design diagnostics? We're trying to do some industry research into like where cybersecurity companies go right now. And we're also planning to do a good bit of research into existing cybersecurity products. So, you know, we're trying to figure out what products are publicly available that we could start to test some of these ideas and on as we start to build this framework out. A couple of places that we're looking at for inspiration right now that you might find interesting. So there's a company called Super Friendly. They have a really cool model where they build a new team for every design project. And over the years, they've narrowed their positioning down to focus on design systems for really big companies. And so they have a design system diagnostic that actually scores companies on their design system. And they have a set of, of sort of submetrics that they score on to then create that composite score. I don't know that we'll do something like that right away because I'm not sure that that number score is going to be the most helpful. I would love to get to the point where we have something like that in the distant future. But for now, we're probably going to look for something that has a little bit more room for nuance and a little bit more room for basically we aren't going to have like this sort of statistical model to back something like that up until we do a lot of research. So we're trying to figure out what does the first iteration of this thing look like? And we're thinking of doing some sort of basic health check on across a, a set of categories to use to determine like how well designed is is a product right now. And then slowly just put, putting more and more products through the model and refining it over time. So yeah, that's what we're working on right now. A lot of the, the product knowledge that I've built up over the years too has come from teardowns. So there's a site called user onboard that does these incredible teardowns of just user onboarding flows for a wide variety of popular products. And they're really entertaining, really quick and easy to digest, but they do a great job of, of pointing out and they're all based on UX research and, and things, but they're a great way to digest some of this information. So I think what we're going to start doing is as we build this model and start putting products through it, we're going to try to publish as many of those as we can as public teardowns so that we can expose some of that knowledge and then test it and, and get it out there a little bit. There's another group called growth.design that does some incredible, very similar like slideshow style teardowns. And they've gone to the extreme in terms of product polish. They've created these little animated characters who will pop up and like do a ton of really subtle animations on their teardowns that make them really, really engaging and fun to interact with. I think we will go for something that's probably a little 
lower fidelity than that. But yeah, we want to start doing some of that. So short answer is I don't have a clear answer yet of what makes a product well-designed. There's a lot of different factors that go into it, but we're starting on this exact same process of trying to build a framework to define that that very thing. Maybe we'll have a, a crit design matrix. <laughs> nice. That's that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm hoping that we'll be able to you know start publishing the early versions of this within a few months. And then I plan on this being a project that we are continually investing in over many years. That's awesome. I think that's important. You know, I'm looking forward to that a lot more than the last time we talked about a sticker museum. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little, a little bit more helpful, a little bit more practical, maybe. What else has been on your mind lately? Anything, anything else that you're thinking about? I don't know if we talked last time, but we have begun to do more services that extend marketing strategy and marketing campaigns. So we've definitely started to do that for clients and do more of that. So the way, like, I don't like this term of like full service digital agency because we do more than just digital products. In fact, we literally make physical products. So full service creative agency, but then that doesn't like really capture the marketing side. I don't know. Marketing things has been on top of mind. Otherwise, you know, a lot of just thinking a lot about this like product design thing that we've been talking about. Um, the teardowns are interesting. I'm trying to think. The difficulty comes from when you design something like a fitness tracker or even like a, a you know, email inbox like manager or, you know, superhuman or hey or whatever. The, the goal is very straightforward, right? Whereas I think in, in B2B products, especially like, you know, things that are like security products, right? The, the goal is very complex and there's multiple, there's large amount of goals. And, you know, I think this also goes goes back to like our conversation about like bundling and debundling and and whatnot but you know I think it, I think it's hard to design for these products because the goals are complex there isn't a straightforward answer and I think that's why we've we've had to I mean it's been very white glove when it comes to us evaluating or us auditing someone's design but I'm sure there are commonalities between different products that I think doing I think doing teardowns you you know I think we'll probably discover a lot or reading really crits teardowns at some point. Well, like, I think there's going to be a lot to discover there and to learn from, but yeah, I don't know. It's definitely a challenge. The, a couple of the challenges that I expect to face as we start doing this research, one is exactly what you said, you know, understanding the context. It's hard someone pretending to be a customer coming into a product to really fully grasp the context of that product. And that's always an important piece of evaluating how effective something is, is understanding the users, understanding the different key people involved, the stakeholders and their different goals and their different needs. And that's something that you don't necessarily have in a research teardown environment. Another thing that you and I were talking about on Slack earlier is so many security products are just large and complex and require large and complex environments for you to fully grasp. And that's been a little bit of a challenge sometimes when we're designing something for a new client. If they don't have a demo environment that's really accurate to a real world enterprise account, 
then we're looking at, you know, a form field and it's like, yeah, it makes sense if you've got eight entries, but if you've got 800, you need a totally different interface. And we've had to really push clients to give us good demo data. And it's hard. It's hard to create good demo data for, it's hard to replicate a massive enterprise network. I remember my point from earlier when it comes to us evaluating products, and this is the only like, non-negotiable, like this is like what we're doing immediately is finding drop-off points. And we think a lot about product from that perspective of like, let's look through like the customer journey, where do people drop off? And those are usually where we think about like maybe like quick, I mean, I think there are like quick wins and low-hanging fruit from a UI perspective, but I think usually when it comes to UX, that's usually, or that's almost always exactly the first thing we're thinking about but even that has some nuance because if your marketing team is really good but their marketing is really broad they might be driving a bunch of poor leads through your funnel and so you might have a drop-off point that it's like no we actually want all those people to drop off because they're never going to get any value out of the product so i have an idea to pitch you on is this your event idea this is my event idea okay cool cool so my, my buddy Scott and I were talking recently and both of us love the outdoors and are just very much kindred spirits. I have for a long time wanted to get a group of founders together to go on a multiple day backpacking trip in a really remote area. And all we're doing is hiking every single day, setting up camp, cooking together, like a proper multiple day backpacking trip. And really, I don't plan on it being there being a whole lot of structure to it. It's just let the conversations arise organically and see what happens when you put four or five really talented, interesting people together and have them spend multiple days without cell service, just hiking and walking next to each other and like sweating their ass off and getting a little uncomfortable. I like it. As you were just saying, like hiking and sweating next to each other, I'm just thinking like five agency owners enter. (laughs) 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 Only one comes out. (laughs) One of the trends was that agencies would spin out product platforms or or like other SaaS apps. So, or or just other products. Like they were saying like Procreate was created by an agency. It's like, I get that. But I also feel like that works 1% of the time. Like, I don't know how much of a trend that is or how much of... so. I'm just going to quote or rather bastardize a quote from a podcast I was listening to. I'll basically consume everything that Emmett Shine from Pattern or Gin Lane talks on. So, so Gin Lane was an agency. They, they've done like Sweetgreen and, and Hymns and they're very much in like that DTC space. But he shut down his agency to go run a like a consumer goods company, Pattern. And he was saying that originally he was trying to do both. And basically like the first first DC, the first DDC product he was working on, which was equal parts, which is just pots, which is pots and pans, like really well-designed pots and pans. And he was like, yeah, there's like, like client services, a 24 seven, like feed the beast thing. Like you're, you are not going to have time to work unless you commit your hours to it. In which case you start, you stop taking in accounts, you start turning that side, that agency side off to go work on it. And then you lose designers on your team. And anyway, yeah, it was just, it was just like a very interesting conversation. I very much agree with that. We've tried a couple of times to build some build some products. And I think if you are going to do it, the two keys 
are one, I don't think you can do both in parallel. You can, you know, maybe do both in parallel for a very short amount of time, but eventually there's going to be a switch and you're going to have to commit all in. I think one, it's very hard to do once you get past a certain size because the amount of time it takes to get a product to eclipse the burn rate of a large agency would be just really intense, would be a lot, a lot of time. Unless you were big enough that you like built a sort of skunkworks R&D division, maybe you could build something internally then and then spin it off if you had could afford to really fund internally a dedicated team to it. And I think finding the people to run that dedicated team would be very, very difficult. Not impossible, but very difficult. The other way to do it is to have a very niche business that allows you to command high, very high rates so that you can work a small number of hours and then keep your headcount really small. But again, I, from what I've seen, it's pretty, it happens. It, it definitely happens, but it, it's pretty rare that people actually pull that off. I see a lot of agencies who just sort of flounder for a long time because they keep trying to build products and never really you know, commit all into one or the other. And it's really tough. I almost feel like it's a rite of passage, like, like that every agency owner, like, I mean, you know, as much as I'm, I'm saying that it's hard to do two things at once, like you're doing two things at once. Yeah, I'm doing two things at once, right? But there is there is like a constant reminder of like trying to learn from the mistakes of other people of not over committing. Like every single every other day I'm in the shower, I'm like, oh, but like this could be a product. And then I think about like, yeah, but no one has capacity to work on it. And then I stop thinking about it and store it away in a notebook to maybe talk about with a friend at some point in time. But yeah, I think it's you know, I think it's a rite of passage. But I just don't I I I don't think it's a trend as much as it's just when you run an agency and the grass is greener on the other side because you see product people and you're like, shit, I want to do that too. And then you try to do it. And you're like, I, I now know why I should not have done that and why my friends don't do that. But I don't know. Like, I, I guess it popped in my head because, you know, if, if we all go on this like trip and then all five of us are like, but what if we all started a product together? People can't see you're shaking your head at me. Good luck convincing me to, to start a product again. So. <laughs> Okay, four of us will start. If there's a product company out there that wants to acquire a small agency, no, that's a different story. But uh, that's true. <laughs> okay, so here's a question as a last question for the show. Do you have plans ever to exit? Ooh. Is there a price where you'd be like, yeah, yeah, you can you can have it. I mean, the truth is yes. Yes, I. there's, there's a price. Is it a reasonable price? Is it like... Yeah. Okay. What I have often thought is that something in the range of five to ten million dollars, I would consider consider selling the business. That would be enough enough money to sort of set you up after taxes and everything for maybe not for life, but but set you up pretty well. And I think that is maybe the more sustainable way to start a product business with an agency is to to sell your agency yeah. and then use yeah. that to fund <laughs> building a product business. That said, so a couple of things. One there's a, a writer and consultant who we've actually done some work with who writes a, a lot and talks a lot about exiting an agency, David C. Baker. And he published a newsletter recently where he, or maybe it was a podcast episode where he talked a little bit about what he sees from agencies that do have successful exits. And for the most part, he said, if you want to sell your agency, 
you need to be over 10 million a year in revenue with at least 30% gross margins. That's the best way to set yourself up to sell. And so one, we're a long, long way off from that. We are still working hard on our margins. They probably won't be fantastic this year, but I think we're doing some good groundwork that will set us up for the future. And then we're, you know, hopefully going to hit 1 million this year. Nice. So we're we're a long ways off from that. Will this be your first year hitting 1 mil? Yeah. So last year we got close, but this would be, if we do it, this would be our first year within 12, like a, an actual calendar year hitting 1 million. So that would be cool. So one, we're a long way, a long way off from that. And even with good metrics, it's, it's pretty rare, I think, to, to sell. And it's, it's pretty hard. So I do not currently have any intentions to sell. My goal instead is just to continue to make Crit such a good place to work that I don't have any interest in selling. I don't have any definite exit plans. Austin and I are seven years into this and we have talked about putting at least 10 years in because that feels like it would be a really cool milestone to dedicate a decade of your life to something. And really, you know, two of those seven years were building a product, weren't building the agency. So yeah, I don't I don't have any any definite plans to exit, but I think if we got a number between five to ten million and the terms on the other side were right, so I felt like it was going to be good for our team members, I would definitely consider it. What about you? I think we're we're far from even thinking about exiting. I mean, of course there's a you know, there's a I mean, I would hate to lose, I'm not gonna lie, I would hate to lose the name Miscreants. I think it's just so cool. I think like if I could spin it off into just the t-shirt company and then uh and then you know you can someone else could keep the agency side, that's a it's a lot more agreeable to me. But no, I think I think we're pretty far from being able to sell. I don't I mean, I don't think we're gonna hit you know, we're we're not even a year into this business. So I don't think we're gonna hit a million. It seems like you know, this is anecdotal, but it seems like the average for an agency is five years to hit one million in revenue. So yeah, that's about where we are in terms of time we've been working on the actual agency. Exactly. Yeah, you're part of that anecdotal evidence. <laughs> but but Barrel Barrel NY or sorry, Barrel is BarrelNY.com is, is their website for anyone wants to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a, you know I'm sure there's a price. You know, set five to ten million is really nice. It's from what I've seen, like the easy way, like the the really lazy way to calculate it is just seven seven or eight times your EBITDA. So. We're very far from even hitting five million. I can never, I can never remember. Is EBITDA basically profit, or is that more like gross revenue? I think it's gross revenue. I think it's earnings before. I think you're a little off there. I've heard more like one times gross revenue. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, okay. Agencies do not typically sell for great multiples. I stand corrected. It's possible. I'm sure it has happened, especially if it was like a strategic acquisition. If someone, you know, was acquiring a company, you know, if it was a very well-funded company who was doing like kind of an aqua hire or something like that, I could see something more like seven to eight times. And seven to eight times profit might be might be realistic. Maybe that might be that might be the number. I also honestly cannot tell you. I we're so far from thinking <laughs> about that being possible at the point. So. So what is your small effort for the next week? So my small effort is based on my 
small offer last week because I totally failed it. I told you I was going to go and publish a blog post finally and felt, felt the wave of terror before I could hit publish. And then I was watching someone. I don't, I don't know how I feel about this just yet. I think my, my real, like the actual achievable small effort is like that is, does not feel monumental is the fact that we are pitching. I think I told you about this, but we're, we are pitching one of our largest accounts of the year. And Friday is basically the last conversation before like the statement of work is sent and signed, hopefully with like pricing and everything. So my real small effort is to get that done. My, my grandiose small effort from last week was the fact that I could not for the life of me like have the gusto to publish this blog post. And I am trying to see if like, maybe I should send it to people so they validate it first, or I should, you know, use Twitter to validate it. That's what I've seen. So idea, you could give me a draft and the login credentials for your website and I'll just publish it for you. <laughs> you don't sound that bad of an idea. <laughs> I would say having an editor look at it is helpful, but beyond that, just hit publish. It's, it's not going to be perfect. It's okay. I think it's just that there's controversial hot takes and there's a little bit of terror. That's good. Good marketing is a little bit controversial. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the day I'm yelled at by everyone on security Twitter for like saying something stupid. But maybe that's important. Maybe, I mean, you know, shout out to your favorite Gray, Gray Noise. Andrew Morris had me read a book and there's a rule in there in, in the, I forget what the book is called at this point, the narrow road, sorry. The narrow road or really 88 rules on, on how to get rich. And there's a rule in there that really struck a chord with me, which is like, just like, People who are successful are okay with humiliation or like work past humiliation or not terrified by it. And I think that ever since reading that, it's kind of changed how I look at the at the world a little bit. But anyway, what's your small effort for the week? I have a blog post that I started working on before I left for vacation and I just need to to finish it up. I need to flesh out a couple of ideas and I've been working with a couple of potential editors. So I'm getting close to to finding an ongoing editor to work with. So I'm trying to get that set up. And then, then I also am hoping we will have the first episode of the podcast published. <laughs> so we are kind of a kind of a dual effort there. I'd, I'd love to get both the first episode of the podcast and the first blog post written with the help of the new editor published. Nice. Well, have a good rest of your week. You too. Talk to you next time. You just listened to Small Efforts, a podcast collaboration between Crit and Miscreants, hosted by Sean Sun and Andrew Askins. Sean is a hacker turned designer and the founder of Miscreants, a creative agency building memorable brand and product experiences for cybersecurity ventures. Andrew is an engineer turned CEO and the founder of Crit, a product design agency that helps cybersecurity founders create better products. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can check us out at smalleffortspodpod.com. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.